Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Gus Hallis. And Gus, you've been the head of 10 companies, and currently you sit on five boards. You're chairman of four of them. And I'm just grateful you're willing to be here today, because I don't know how long I've been asking you to do that, and, and you're a private man. So welcome to the show, and thanks for showing up today. Thank you very much. And I'm really happy to do this for you. As you said, this is something unique for me because I don't like to talk about myself. I like to provide results in anything that I do. So, so thank you. <laughs> it's amazing to me that you came to the United States, first of all, when you were 11 years old and you didn't speak any English. And how did you go from coming here, not even understanding the language to all of a sudden where you are today? I don't know if I could de develop a blueprint. The one thing that my life and my parents had very little education, but they said achieve and be successful without any blueprint or anything else or, or even coddling along the way. For me, the a lot of things came easy. By the time I came to the States before the fifth grade, I'd already gone into algebra, trigonometry, calculus, and geometry. And because I couldn't speak English, I basically... They put me in the slow learners class, which was almost like addition, subtraction. So that was easy, but I have a bit of ADHD. I've not been diagnosed, but I use that very much to my advantage because I can have many things going on all at once. And so I was determined that I was going to succeed no matter what. It, what I had in mind as I was growing up was much different than what I eventually moved to. But nevertheless, I have really enjoyed what I have done for the last 70 years of my life. Yes. Well, I happen to know that what you originally wanted to do had something to do with cars, correct? Absolutely. The, my, my goals in life were to build hot cars, hot motorcycles, meaning high, high performance. And that's what I did during high school. And frankly, I was both making a little bit of money because I did that work. In addition to that, I was able to drive fast cars. That has not gone away. I will be 70 years old in March and all the cars that I have are very, very high performance and something that I truly enjoy driving. So in addition to what I do on the business side, the most important part for me is how fast this machine, because it's a work of art, no different than other works of art as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I remember when you and I first met, and that's been way over a decade when our mutual friend Ben Gwill said, hey, you've got to meet this guy. And I think he's going to be very successful, but I want to make sure that we support him with the right people. And then I met you and you were not at all what I expected because you were humble and quiet. And I was in the middle of having my own staffing firm and reaching my next level of success. And you were like, if you can just distill everything to where a 10 year old can understand it and be that clear, you'll experience a lot of success. And that definitely helped me. So it, do you think that came from you being able to look at the parts and knowing how they all fit together? Because you went from the cars and then I believe an uncle said, no, you should go into business. You, you double majored in physics and economics and you, then you got your MBA. But it seems to me like you like pulling things apart and putting them together. And one of your greatest joys were when you first were given the opportunity to take charge of a division that was really Really failing and you turned it around. And since then, since I've known you, all you do is <laughs> pick up companies that are massively challenged and, and you look at the parts and you 
put them together and take it to the next level. So tell me a little bit about how you see that. Indeed, that's, I always say, how did I get into the turnaround business? I always say, I didn't step back when everybody else did when they were looking for volunteers. And so it was a small division of a very large company and it was trouble. But through the time that I spent, the team that I put together and everything else became extremely successful. So that led to another one and then another one and it just continued to go on. And that's that really gave me enough, I think, Again, I've not been diagnosed, but I, since my son has been diagnosed with ADHD, I feel I have it. And it really fulfills me when I have a lot of things going on because I can't sit still. So this gave me that opportunity when I went through. And it was that particular company that actually took me through an MBA program in grad school in Switzerland that Mm -hmm. I'll be forever thankful. But it was, that's been the fun part for me is fixing things that whether it's a car, whether it's a company, whether it's something else that I just sort of encounter because that makes me happy and it also occupies my mind. The organizations are really nothing more than parts and how you put them together and how you draw the higher horsepower, if you will, out of everyone that's part of your team is really how you become successful. I'm often saying, because I've gone in in a lot of the companies that you mentioned that I've been involved in, there is not one industry, literally I've been through about seven or eight industries in one way or another, and it really, it's uniform. You don't have to know every detail. You just have to motivate people. You have to give them the opportunity to succeed, and in turn, you will succeed. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been something that drives me. I wish I could say that I could just stop and not work and not get as involved as I am because it does take a lot of my time. It gets into my golf game or my cars. But nevertheless, I enjoy it so much, so I continue uh, to do it. And we'll continue to do it until I'm, I'm unable or nobody has an interest in asking me to provide any help. Well, I doubt that the second part will ever happen. So one thing you said is about people. And I'm very curious because a lot of the perception is when you are a turnaround guy, you don't have time to take care of culture. You just come in and the people part is like either perform or you're out. So tell me a little bit about it, how you have managed to do so well and turn companies around so quickly when traditionally speaking, the ones that spend a lot of time on culture are more like companies that are into longevity, not quick turnarounds. Well, you always talk about blind spots. And as long Mm -hmm. as I've known you, you've talked about that. One of my blind spots was I have to move through an organization quickly and either let people go or put them in positions that they can succeed or do anything else. There were two, a number of issues for me. One was total burnout because I didn't delegate and I had and still do look at every little detail, everything that's going through. Well, you can't do that with with large organizations and some of them had over a couple thousand employees. There's a lot of things going on that you can't keep up. So First, I had to learn how to delegate. The other is when people don't perform, you have to move on from them because you want to retain as many of the employees as as you can in order to continue to, to be successful. Well, I found that a lot of folks were not successful or not performing well simply because they were put in the wrong spot for for a myriad of reasons. Once I discovered that that was a big issue for me, I started putting people in the proper positions, gave them enough 
of responsibility that allows them to succeed because they have all the will in the world, but until they got to the point where they, they were not over their head to speak of, they were, it, it was something that they want to do. They became the best employees possible. So that really worked well. And, and I've had so many contributors that uh, have been successful and people that have come up to me afterwards and said, thank you for giving me that opportunity because I, I knew I was failing you and your reputation preceded you. So I'm glad that if I could do anything that I kept a lot of those people because they were some of the best employees I had in the organizations that I ran. That's great. And when was the aha moment? Did that come early on when you started doing your first turnaround or was it the second or third? What, what was it, the moment that was, you had, huh? It was the second because the first one, it was sort of complete control, but the division was smaller. It was complete control and I used a nomenclature. I sort of mowed down the organization and they had to understand that the one, the direction of how it's going to conduct the company and also how they were going to be a part of that wheel. It was complete dictatorship, if you will. Mm. And we became successful, but I don't know that I had everyone's loyalty to the level that I eventually did because even now, as you well know, one of the companies that I'm chairman of, literally whole organization have been people that have worked for me in, the, in, in another company or companies in the oil field industry. Yes. So all the, the senior management or people I worked with, as soon as they knew I was going to be involved, and to their credit, the private equity group that, that asked me if I would help them knew of me and knew what how I was going to act and what their expectations were going to be. So it was, I basically have the organization that I had and they're moving along. Obviously, we've had a little bit of a problem with the oil industry at this time, but nevertheless, they are still able to survive and they're doing very well considering how bad things are. Yeah. And it is very unusual with the turnaround guy that someone wants to work for them again. So you obviously figured that out at some point and, and not just by your opinion, but like you said, wherever you go, people are knocking at your door going, hey, can I, can I follow you? So I think that says a lot right there. But it's interesting that you brought up the dictatorship, so to speak, because I think during times of crisis, like you could argue we're still in it. And a lot of leaders seem to be reverting to dictatorship. So as we wrap up the show, show, what would you say to someone who's never been through a crisis? Number one thing is to say, we're all in this together. And how do we succeed? How do we become great together? And it's amazing how people will come to that. If you're just simply a dictator without having the full support of your organization, you're going to fail. Being a dictator and yet leaning on everybody, asking everybody their opinion. This is how it's, let's talk about it. Let's push and then create an environment where they must come up with great ideas and, and constant challenging one another without being intimidating, it will, a lot of good things will come out of it. But they've got to feel like, hey, we're part of a team. We're going to succeed no matter what. And guess what? They'll find a way. It's amazing how all these organizations, all the wonderful people that I've worked with in my life, the ones that, that stayed with me, have a tendency to really want to go to the next level no matter what. So that part is very, very rewarding for me and very enjoyable when I see it. Yeah. 
And the other part that may be your positive blind spot that I know about my experience with you and from knowing people that have worked for you is it's not like you say, what's your, what's your opinion? What do you think we can do? And then you end up telling them everything that you think they should do. You actually, I think someone even said, quote, he makes you think. He makes you, <laughs> he makes you really come up with a viable alternative and he really does listen. So I don't know how you do that and how you inspire that. A lot of leaders are like, I already know the answer and I just want to go do it. How do you, how do you not do that? Because I can imagine there's times that you're like, wow, I already know the answer. I honestly, this is a, a point that I always say to all the folks that I work with, and that is consider me God's idiot. And I'm just going to go through life and, and I'm going to ask all these bright people, bright, energetic, hardworking people that want to, to achieve, and you put them all together in a room, and all of a sudden, your own opinion and your own self-interest sort of dies down, and you just sort of let all these great ideas percolate to the point that people can succeed. That's the essence of success as far as I'm concerned. I've gone into industries I knew nothing about, and all I did is ask the organization, the team, my direct report, how do we make things better? And it's amazing how people can do that. Now, at the same time, when I say I, I don't want to sound like I'm so altruistic that I bring in flowers and everything else, I challenge constantly and I challenge directly. And But people get used to that. And then they make jokes about it because I can be very, very forceful with what needs to be done. But they also understand that I respect them and I want them to succeed. That I want people that will challenge me. I will push me and will say, you're not doing enough and you're not doing it fast enough. And I enjoy those people and I enjoy their ideas and I'll support their ideas. So I think that's partly what, what you were saying and how I look for them. Because at the end of the day, if it's a team, if I try to make all the decisions, nothing good is going to come out of that. I don't believe. When I ask everyone else and I push them to get to another level, a lot of good things come out. And frankly, that's what I consider leadership. I'm happy to have led some of the smartest people I know. And I kindly say a lot of them are smarter than I am, which is just fine. Well, thank you again so much for accepting my invitation and being on the show. I want to thank you very much for helping me participate in this uh, podcast, because as you all know, I don't like to talk about myself or my accomplishments or anything else. I've known you for over 20 years, but as you move from one profession to another, you become more and more proficient. And while it's not necessarily a definite profession change, it's a succession to the next. And this podcast and every other podcast that I've heard you uh, conduct has been excellent. And that is a wonderful evolution to your abilities and your success. And I thank you.